Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you. Powerful moments with you, Lord, this morning. Deep. Touching our hearts. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, the word of God that's spoken this morning would touch our hearts. We just pray, God, for our homes and our families, that you would surround us with your everlasting love and grace. Give me favor this morning, Lord, as I speak your words. And give us favor as a people that we might hear what the Spirit of God would say to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to preach to you this morning, sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters of God. In the world that we live in, there are two opposing forces. Good versus evil. Holy versus unholy. If you are on the side of good, and desire to live a holy life, you will become a target for the enemy, the enemy of your soul. Whether you know it or not, you are a wanted person, dead or alive. There's a wanted poster in the office of the enemy. If you are a follower of Christ, you will find yourself in a war for your soul and for your destiny with God. The enemy will fight you every step of the way. Let me begin by saying this. Through him, we are sons and daughters of God. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're born again. 1 John 5, 12 says, he that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You see the demarcation? Do you see good, evil, holy, unholy, life, death? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you, are not, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 reads this, And because you are sons... God had sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. 
And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are sons and daughters of God through Him and through the shed blood and the finished work of the cross. Sonship is based on resurrection. Romans chapter 1 verse 3. Concerning His Son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. There is no salvation without resurrection. There is no forgiveness of sins without the resurrection of Christ. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 says this, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We are sons and daughters of God because of the death and resurrection of Christ on the cross. So what are we fighting for? We're fighting for our sonship and our daughtership. Just like you as a parent in the natural fight for your children. That you fight for your sons and daughters. Especially when injustice might come against them. Or maybe when they're making a wrong decision, you fight against the powers of evil for that child. You know what I'm talking about. So I want to take you on a little journey that sometimes people don't preach about. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. I want you to look closely. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Look at the word faith. It's not what you think. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says this, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Didn't say my faith. Although Paul did keep his faith. It says, I have kept the faith. Follow. Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. This is Jesus speaking to John. Even in those days where Antipas, Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Jude chapter 3, Jude verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let's talk for a moment. Why is Jude saying that we need to contend for the faith? What's the definition of contend? It means to enter a contest and labor fervently. It means to contend with adversaries and fight. It means to contend, struggle, 
with difficulties and dangers. It means to endeavor with strenuous zeal and to strive to obtain something. So Jude is saying that we're in a fight for the faith. So what is the faith that we are in a fight for? And who's trying to take away the faith from our life? Who's trying to nullify our sonship and our daughtership in Christ? Well, we have to define the faith. What is the definition of the faith? Conviction of the truth of anything. It's a belief in the New Testament of a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things. Generally, with the included idea of trust and holy fervor, born of faith and joined with it. Second definition. The conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things. The provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. Number three. A strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. Number four, it's the religious beliefs of Christians. Number five, it's belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence, whether in God or in Christ, springing from faith in the same. And lastly, it's the character of one who can be relied on. So what are we saying here? Jude says that we have to contend for our beliefs. There's a lot of people out there that say God doesn't exist. There's a lot of people that, out there that says the Bible is not relevant. It's not absolute truth. Many believe in humanism. Many believe in relativism. Many believe I'm okay, you're okay. Many believe in self-help. Many are trying to find themselves inside. But what's God saying? You have to contend for the faith as a son or daughter of God. Because if you lose the faith, you will lose your sonship and your daughtership in the Lord. Follow. The above verses, the verses that I read to you, 1 Timothy 6.12, 2 Timothy 4.7, Revelation 2.13 and Jude 3, the above verses with the word faith have the same exact meaning in Greek. Matter of fact, the Greek number is 4102. The faith is a spiritual position. The faith, the definition that I gave you, is a spiritual position. The faith is a spiritual experience we live out through Christ. So I'm defining faith as our beliefs in Jesus as the Messiah, as the tenets of our faith, what we believe in. And I'm proposing to you this morning that faith is a spiritual position. When someone comes against the faith, I have to take a spiritual position against them and say, you're not correct. This is what the word of God says. This is what the faith says. It's my beliefs in Christ. Listen, opposing forces recognize those that have the faith. Recognizes those of you who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That believe in the new covenant. 
that believe that Jesus is coming again, that believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, died on the cross, and rose again on the third day. He's coming after the faith in your life. The enemy is. We become the cause of trouble. Come on, come on. I said we become the cause of trouble in society. It's those people. It's those people that believe in that book, that Bible, that they hold so dear. It's their faith that's interfering with society. It's their faith and their belief in Jesus Christ, the Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. It's that faith that's messing us up. That's what they're proclaiming. When you have the faith, those beliefs, then you have the fight. I said when you have the faith, you have the fight. Because the enemy's not going to sit on the sideline and say, hey, I'm going to let you expound on the faith. The enemy has one goal, and that is to dethrone you from your position of sonship. The desire of the enemy is to separate you from God and from the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in Christ that believe in the faith and that are fighting for the faith. People were martyred for the faith. Or they had their own personal faith and we're all dealt a measure of faith. But I'm talking about the faith. And if you look at those verses, the word faith means the same thing in all of those verses. Fight the good fight of faith. What does that mean? Hold on to the tenets. What does it mean when Paul said, I have kept the faith, I have kept my beliefs? What does it mean when Jesus spoke to John and he said, you have not denied my faith? What did Jude mean when he said, contend for the faith? And a lot of people are caving in like a tent. Because when we disobey God and we sin, we're nullifying the faith that we say we believe in. Follow. When we willfully go out and sin against God's word, the faith, we're saying to God, that's not important in my life right now. And I'm not fighting for the faith, because if you were fighting for the faith, you would say no to sin and the world. But people are caving. And they're caving in quickly in the last day. Because they're yielding to the lusts of the flesh. They're, they're yielding to the decoys and the distractions of the enemy. Follow when did this warfare begin? How do, how, do, how do we get to this place in life where we have to contend for the faith? It began in the book of Luke chapter 3 verse 22 when God announced and made this announcement. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. As soon as Jesus came and John saw him and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world a statement of faith was made that this man this perfect lamb this perfect human who would not sin this son of God a declaration was made that day that this was God's son this caused 
a great convulsion in the spirit world. Because up until that point, it was the blood of bulls and goats that was sprinkled for the covering of sins. But now God is making a statement. And he's saying, I have sent one to you that will teach you the faith and that will be able to forgive you of your sins. What a statement. Who is this man? The carpenter's son? Who is this man? How can he declare? How can God declare? How can the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descend upon him as a dove and all of a sudden say, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased? When that announcement was made, this would open the door for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When that announcement was made, Jesus will become the door of choice to enter if we desire our sins to be forgiven. He said in John 10 and 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. What's he saying? There's only one door, my friend. There are not many ways to heaven. There's only one door in Noah's Ark. And that door symbolized Jesus as being the door. And when that announcement was made in the book of Luke, it sent all kinds of activity into being on the earth. Because now Satan had someone that would contend with him for the faith. (laughs) Now the war was on. You see, Jesus would become the new and living way in our life. In turn, we would become the target of the enemy and enter into a vicious warfare for the preservation of our soul. Once removed from Satan's kingdom of darkness as we were through the blood of Jesus Christ, we would become the hunted and sought after by the enemy to get us back into darkness and to get us to turn our backs on the light of God. This is no joke. This is serious business. Because when you accepted the invitation by the power of the Holy Spirit to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He was signing you up into the new covenant. And He was signing you up to contend for the faith which was going to produce the fight in your life against the powers of evil. Let me tell you how the warfare continued. It was the announcement of Jesus as the Son of God. But Jesus took the scroll and he went into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and he opened the scroll. And he made this public announcement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now we read that and we just accept that because we're living in 2019. 
go back a few thousand years, when the rabbis had their game going on, you had to pay for your seat, pay for your doves and your pigeons, for the sacrifices, and they charged you exorbitant prices for that. Jesus walks right into their midst of darkness, and he reads the scroll from Isaiah, and everybody's looking at him and saying, who's this guy? Is he the new rabbi? Did the old rabbi get transferred to a different synagogue? Oh, no. This is the rabbi of rabbis. This is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Perhaps you didn't hear the, uh, the announcement in the Jordan River. But this is just to solidify that announcement that I am, Jesus said, I am the son of God. And I have come to do some damage against the kingdom of darkness. Praise God, my father sent me and I'm declaring that publicly. And now the war is on. Right. So, you say, Pastor, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going. The enemy wants you and I back. He wants our children back. He wants our grandchildren back. He wants our marriages back, our homes. He wants, he wants it all back. And he goes to great lengths. He's so seductive and so cunning that it will take the Spirit of God to fight for the faith in your life. Because he's going to come and attack you and get you to minimize the doctrines and the beliefs that we have as Jesus the Messiah. So I want to talk to you about two doctrines of heresy that are getting people away from sonship and daughtership in Christ. What could the enemy do to blur the difference between good and evil and holy and unholy? What can he possibly do? He could create a doctrine of heresy in the world that would blind actually millions of people and cause even so-called ministers to get behind a pulpit and preach that to millions of people. Hold on. He would introduce the doctrine of once saved, always saved. And then he would introduce the doctrine of universal sonship that teaches everyone is a Christian because everyone has good in them. Follow. First doctrine. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul warns us. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. That means right on, point on. That in the latter times, and if you don't believe we're in the latter times, you're living in a cave somewhere. Some shall depart from the faith. What do we say the faith was? I'm going to show you in a minute. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. In latter times, some shall depart from the faith. The word faith here has exactly the same meaning as the verses above that I spoke to you a few minutes ago. The fight is against the faith, 
And if the enemy can blur the definition and meaning of faith as expressed in the word of God, he could misguide you and mislead millions. This is exactly what this doctrine of universal sonship teaches. It obliterates what Christians believe as the foundation of their faith. Let me show you something. In 1 Corinthians 2.11, God's will is to thwart the plan of the enemy to separate us from God. Because you have to admit, you're in a war. And the enemy wants you back in his trophy case. He's not happy that you're following Christ. He, he, he didn't this morning clap his hands with his demons and say, I'm so happy you're going to church. I'm so happy you're exalting Christ, who he hates. I'm so happy you're exalting Jesus. So he says in 1 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we, not, we are not ignorant of his devices. What's God saying through the Apostle Paul to Timothy? Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Don't be foolish. Don't be stupid. Because the enemy wants to make people ignorant. Don't invent your own gospel. Which a lot of people are doing. It's the fifth gospel according to the saint evangelical. I can do what I want. I don't have to listen to the rules. I don't have to obey God's commandments. Because God knows my heart. You have been deceived, my friend. You are on the way of losing sonship or daughtership. You have been deceived. And people need to hear the truth. And sometimes the truth is hurting. It's not pleasant. Once saved and always saved is a heresy. Let me bring your attention to Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And I can preach hours on this subject, eternal security. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Let me ask you a very fundamental Christian, a question about your Christianity. Was Judas among the twelve when Jesus called these men in Luke chapter 9, verse 1? Absolutely. And he gave the apostles, the disciples, and Judas, what? Authority over all devils. And gave him them power and to cure diseases. Okay. This establishes that Judas was a follower of Christ. And at that moment, he's casting out devils. He has power. He has authority. He's touching people and they're being healed. I go to Luke chapter 11, verse 14. How could Judas have the devil in him at the time when he was sent by Jesus? That's a question. So here's the answer. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. And he was casting out a devil, Jesus was, and it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, he casted out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. 
But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. What's he saying? How can Judas, who has the power of God at this time, how can he have Beelzebub and be casting out devils? It doesn't fit. It's a contradiction. And then when you go to John chapter 13, verse 26, at the Last Supper, Jesus answered and he said, they wanted to know, who is this that's going to betray you? This is one of the most important scriptures in the word of God that people do not want to preach in their nominal churches. Here's what it says. Jesus answered and he said, he it is to whom I shall give a sop, which is a morsel of bread, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Look at verse 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. When? After he took the morsel of bread. When did Satan enter? At that moment, the Bible says, and then said Jesus unto Judas, thou, that thou doest do quickly. What are you saying, Pastor? There's preachers that get behind the sacred desk and tell people, you can live in adultery, you said the prayer, you could be a serial killer, you could be Hitler, Mussolini, Saddam Hussein. If you pray the prayer, you're a child of God. Wait a minute. How could that be? Is that the faith? Is that what we're fighting for? That I can accept Christ and go live like hell? Go live like the world? What's changed? What does the word repent mean? Turn around and don't do what you used to do. But in order to keep numbers and to keep people and to keep money, we have to lie to people and say, did you say the prayer? Did you do the four spiritual laws? Did you, did you accept Jesus? Yeah. You're good to go. It doesn't matter what they're doing. That's not the gospel. That is not the faith. It's a heresy that's sending millions of people to their death. It's sending millions of people to hell. Look what it says in Mark 14 and 10. And Judas Iscariot this is to solidify Luke chapter 9, verse 1. One of the twelve went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. He was identified as one of the twelve. And what did the twelve do? They had power to cast out devils and to heal the sick. But yet we have people standing behind a sacred desk and telling people, don't worry, your sins are forgiven. No matter what you do, you're, you're good to go. God's got it all covered one time. Once full of chicken, always full of chicken. You know what we're dealing with, people? We're dealing with heaven and hell. Well, this is not a joke. We're dealing with heaven and hell. We're dealing with people that are on the precipice of going to hell because they will not accept the tenets of the faith. And they make up their own gospel. Because they say to themselves, because the enemy comes and seduces them and says, Hey, God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And it's desperately wicked above all things. That's what Jeremiah said. That's right. 
The heart is desperately wicked above all things. It's only through Christ that we're cleansed. It's only through Christ that we're saved. It's only through Christ that we're kept. Jude said, now unto him that's able to keep you from falling. What's God saying? The work of the enemy is to nullify the power of sonship. There is no such thing as universal sonship. People say we're all children of God. You know what I like to tell some of those people? If someone came in and, God forbid, molested your child and killed your mother, would you say he has the faith and that he is a child of God? Are you telling me that Hitler, who killed anywhere between 10 and 20 million people, was a child of God? Are you telling me Stalin, who killed twice as many as Hitler, was a child of God? And he's going to be sitting at God's table? Because we're all children of God and we all have good in us? When Isaiah the prophet said, none of us are good. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But do you see how the demonology has come in, into the pulpit, and into our churches? And I know this is not a popular message that people are going to listen to. They're going to say, hey, has the pastor lost his mind? Has the rev lost his mind? No. I'm giving you truth. I'm giving you the word of God. Look up the scriptures. Look up the scriptures. It's so easy for us to walk around the earth when everything is so good for us and say everyone's a child of God. Until he messes with you. Or messes with your kid. Or messes with your marriage. Or messes with your job. Is everybody a child of God? Here's what the word says. There's only one way to heaven. And I know this is not a popular message with people. It says this in John chapter 10 verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. Who? Jesus. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. What don't people understand about that verse? And to clarify that verse, John 14 and 6 reads this. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What don't people understand about John 14 and 6? People say, well, I got baptized when I was a kid. So what does that mean? I, I go to the church that my grandmother went to. What does that mean? My, my, my great granddaddy, he, he donated the land for the church. I go to that church. What, what, what does that mean? But listen, people, people believe that. People, people accept this. Okay? What does it say in Hebrews 10 and 20? By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. He died on the cross for our sins. Why did he do that? So we can have an open door to go to heaven, that our sins could be forgiven. But yet people get up in the universal churches and they get up in their denominations and they say, there's many different ways to go to heaven. And people who are in sin, who want to hear that message, will attend and hear that sermon and say, I'm good to go. But you're selling a car without an engine. 
You're lying to people, preacher. You're standing behind a sacred desk and you're preaching a heresy. And not only that, but you're writing books. You're writing books to try to prove one's full of chicken, always full of chicken. One saved, always saved. When people are committing gross and heinous sins and you don't have the courage and the guts to preach against it. There's a price, my friend. There's a price to pay. The work of the enemy is to nullify sonship and daughtership. Two doctrines, one saved and always saved and universal sonship, that everyone is a Christian. So what's God saying to us? There's one other thing that can keep us in the hands of the enemy, and that's division. Keeping unity is important because you have to understand that Christ is the head and we are the body. Follow this closely. Psalm 133 once says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Amen. Division can take us away from sonship. Paul the Apostle came to the church at Ephesus and he said these words through the power of the Holy Spirit. He said in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why did Paul say that to the church at Ephesus? What was he saying? Would you hurt your own body? Would you stab yourself? Would you shoot yourself? Paul was saying, if you don't keep the unity of the spirit and there's division, you're stabbing the body. You're shooting the body, which is Christ's body. And that causes schisms, and I'll, I'll show you in the word. Paul was saying to the church that we have to mature. And he says in Ephesians 4.13, until we all come in the unity of the faith, the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, Paul was saying, it's time to grow up and it's time to mature. He says, why, why is there wars in the churches? Because there's envy and strife and jealousy. Why, why is there wars? He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he says to the church at Corinth, he says, now I beseech you. He was saying, listen to me, folks, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. What does the word divisions mean? It means a rent, a dissension, a breakup. It means to split into factions, a schism. And when that begins to happen and one talks against the other, well, what do you think about the preacher? What do you think about that son? Did you see what she was wearing today? Did you see his shoes? This causes a schism. And a schism is an open door for the enemy to enter and to weaken us 
so that some get so discouraged that they lose their sonship and daughtership and walk out and say, I can't be part of that. They estimate there's 20,000 splits in churches in America every year. 1,700 ministers a month are leaving the ministry. Why? Why? The warfare. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians in the Message Version, chapter 1, verse 10. I have a serious concern to bring up with you, my friends. Using the authority of Jesus, our master, I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. I bring this up because some from Chloe's family brought a most disturbing report to my attention, that you're fighting among yourselves. I'll tell you exactly what I was told. You were all picking sides, going around saying, I'm on Paul's side, I'm on Apollos's, or Peter is my man, or I'm in the Messiah group. Isn't that happening today? Same exact thing. Pitting one against the other and stabbing the body of Christ. Shooting the body of Christ, which he died for. This body, us, is a body. And when we speak against it and cause divisions and schisms, that's a serious charge. And that can cause some people, as we have seen, go back out to the world and backslide and never come back to God. Blood will be required on our hands. We are responsible for other people. We are responsible what we do to the body of Christ. We are responsible for the faith. We are responsible for the fight. Paul came to the church at Rome and he said in Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. How many times in churches have I seen through the years, oh, he's a businessman. Hey, let's put him on a board. What does he know about church? Can't even run his own business. And all of a sudden he's a deacon, all of a sudden he's an elder, all of a sudden he's a big shot because he's got money. Sit up front. Put the money in. That's not the way the gospel works. That's favoritism. That's not right. Paul wrote to the church at Rome and he said this in Romans 16, 17, and this is strong. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. What's that saying? Paul says, you know, church at Rome, you got some problems. You, you got some people that are dividing. You, you, you got groups, you, you, you got schism. You, you got, you got a, 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 a group of people that, that are hurting the church. And, and, and the Holy Spirit let Paul know this and he wrote to the church at Rome. Mark them. What does it mean, mark them? Single them out. Single them out. Because they're hurting the body. And that can cause people to fall away from God. We can't take sides with sin. We can't take sides. Either we're going to believe the faith 
and do the fight? Or we're going to get seduced by heresy. The Bible says, let us. I want to close. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, and that's Jesus, that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. What is our profession? The faith. We cannot back up. We must stand for what's right in the Bible. We cannot accept what the world is trying to teach us, trying to shape us, trying to get us to come to their side of the fence. It doesn't work. We must take a stand in our homes. Because if we compromise, that door is open for demonic forces to enter in and deceive not just one, but all. And some people say, well, I can't believe that will happen. I've actually seen it. I've actually seen whole families be deceived by an evil spirit, a demonic spirit. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, look what it says. Let us, let us, the body of Christ is not one person. The body of Christ is let us hold the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promise. Let us, let's stand together. Let's fight together. Let's come together. Let's pray together. Let's fellowship together. Let's fight for one another together. It's not a Lone Ranger thing. It's not two or three people in a corner. If God's called us to be a body, we need to be a body. We can't say to the arm, you're not important. We can't say to the toe, you're not important. You can't say to the hand, we don't need you. We're part of the body. And Christians are very good at wounding other Christians and leaving them for dead on the side of the road. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. This is commandments. Let us. It's a body ministry. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Sin in the church can destroy a church. And it's not easy to preach against sin. I'm a sinner saved by grace. But I know what sin can do to a church. It can destroy a house of God. Because if we let this happen, then other things will happen. Oh, God gives people the place to repent. And that's why we preach the gospel. There has to be a repentance. For the kingdom of God, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist preached that. Jesus preached that. If you don't hear a preacher preach repentance and the blood of Jesus and the cross, he's just going to give you stories and motivational talks discern concerning the faith. I plead with you. I plead with you. The faith must be represented in the pulpit and in the pews. Because that's what we're fighting for. If we compromise the faith, we have already lost the fight. 
If we say, oh, that's okay and that's okay, that's not. If we don't keep unity, division will come. And when division comes, it eats like a canker and it eats like a cancer because you're damaging the body of Christ with words. You don't have to have a gun to kill someone. But from our mouths, we can murder. Think about it. Think about murdering a brother or a sister with words. Think about bullies. What do you think they do? Bullies murder people with words. That cause people sometimes to commit suicide. And when we murder with words, how can God actually bless us? How, how, could, how could it be let us? This is a fight individually and a fight collectively. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 122 and 1, he says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us. I know that there's burdens in this church this morning. Maybe you're not aware, but I am. But when you see people come together and pray, and you see tears. That's enacting, let us. And that's pleasing to God. Because it's good. The psalmist said, let us go into the house of the Lord. The psalmist said, as I close in Psalm 133 and 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There's basically three things that can try to wear away our sonship and daughtership in Christ. One saved, always saved doctrine, which is heretical. Universal sonship, everybody's a child of God. And division in our homes and in our churches can cause people to be so discouraged that they don't want to serve God anymore. And folks, I have seen that in all the years that I've been in the ministry. It behooves us to be unified. It behooves us to pray together, to break bread together, to fellowship together. It behooves us to not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some are. That's what Paul said to the Hebrew church. They were so discouraged that they said, what's the point of going to church? What's the point of meeting in someone's house? What's the point of worshiping God? Look at all this persecution. No. Fight for the faith. And that day is here, my friend. It's here for our children and our school systems. We have to teach them to fight for the faith and not condescend to the nonsense that's being spewed out by politicians, by educational systems, by religious systems. We are the sons and daughters of God and we represent the king. And how do we represent the king? Fighting for the faith. And it's really simple, my friend. People say, well, why do you believe what you believe? Because it's in this good book. And if it's in this book, I accept it, I receive it, and I believe it. That's the end. That's the end. That's the fight. This is the sword of the spirit that I can refute any argument 
religiously against someone that tells me that everybody's going to heaven. Haven't you noticed when someone passes, all of a sudden they're deified as knowing God. Well, when did that happen? All of a sudden some minister gets up there and says some fair words to Jesus said, I am the resurrection of the dead. And he goes on. It kind of reminds me when I was growing up that some of the most heinous mafia members had what they called a high mass in the church. And it was almost like you thought it was St. Paul going home to Jesus who killed 50 people just murdered people or had them murdered and we have all of these people saying this church service like he's with God wow this is crazy but yet people believe that today there's many different ways be careful be careful of the many different ways that are being portrayed to people ask yourself is that part of the faith it's a simple question is that part of the faith? Is this is what Jesus said? Is it undeniable part of what I believe is a belief system? Or is this something that's coming my way to throw me off just a little bit, to get me off the track and give me a little bit of cheese to bring me back into darkness, to get me to disbelieve the faith that God has outlined for me to contend for? Listen, you've seen books from ministers. I don't believe in hell anymore. You're seeing books now. I don't believe in Christianity anymore. I'm not a follower of Jesus anymore. But yet, in days before, they stood behind the sacred desks, some of them before thousands of people proclaiming, that Jesus was their Lord and Savior. What are they spewing now? Read the book of Hebrews. Read the book of Hebrews. You can't trample on the blood of Jesus and expect to be saved. You can't. And that's what a lot of people are doing. And the heresy continues and it will continue until the day we go home. And that's what you'll be contending for. This universal sonship is not of God. There's going to be a one-world church and a one-world religion one of these days. We're not part of it. We're part of the church of Jesus Christ. And it's this Bible. It's this Bible that we believe in that's going to get us home. God bless you, and thank you for listening.